Cash Color Canvas, a high level of conversation on LiveHipHopDaily.tv. Back with a new season, new uh, new year, man. It's, it's blessed to be back and be into a new a new decade, 2020s here. And um, to kick off a new season and kick off a new show, I brought in a guest who I've been wanting to have on since I started the show. Um, legend in the building, man. My man, Big Gib. How you doing, sir? Bro, I'm, I'm, I'm electric right now, man. I'm, I'm really blessed to be able to have you in the spot. Um, it's past music with me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I've always been a fan of Goody Ma back when, um, you know, I'm from Boston. I legit Boy. remember when my friend Kareem called me weird. He was like, man, why are you always trying to be weird? He asked me what I was listening to. I said, man, got this Goody Mob album. <laughs> they pull out this Mob Deep track and said, man, why you always got to be the weird one, man? <laughs> I was like, nah, it's rock. No, nah, trust me. My sister went to Morris Brown, so she used to always okay. send me up all them records, man. And I'm like, yo, y'all missing out, really? Like, I, man, yeah, look, man. But anyway, it goes past music. Like, I know your, your ventures into the weed. I know your ventures into, the, you know, saying just learning about the health side and the recreational side of all that. And I was like, yo, Gip's so interesting. I really need to have this boy on the show. So I'm blessed to have you on here right now. Thank you for having me. No doubt, no doubt, man. So, um, you know, it's, it's weird. You know, I start every interview by asking people to introduce themselves, but for some reason, for those who don't know who you are, <laughs> introduce uh, yourself. Everybody in the world, how you doing? <laughs> well, they call me Gip. Uh, I'm from a group called Goody Mob. I'm from a crew called Dungeon Family. All right. Been here for a long time. But we got we got some more work to do, so we'll be here for a little while longer. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, you know, and and thankfully that people really have we have we have ability to chronicle history well, you know, because between documentaries and shows that's on Netflix and all that, you're able to see the 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 beginnings of um, Dungeon Family. We never see the beginnings of Outcast, beginnings of Goody Mobs through a lot of these shows, but we really have a chance to actually speak to somebody who was there. For that time, so um, before we get into how you even found Dungeon Family, how or how they found you, tell us how you found music. Like, what was the day you discovered music? Well, um, started uh, early, early eighties, early eighties, eighty four, uh, eighty five. A dude moved into my neighborhood. His name was Ray Murray. Ray Murray today, he's one of the three uh, organized noise. Well, when Ray moved into the neighborhood, that was the first time that I was introduced to hip hop from New York hip hop, even to Atlanta hip hop. Okay. Ray was one of the original writers for the Five Kings from the West Side. And old Atlanta, if you used to ride down Lee Street, on all the old buildings, you used to see old graffiti from the 80s, Fire King, stuff like that. Ray was from Catherwood, Sylvan Road. So Ray was the first person that kind of like started teaching me about uh, Last Poets, mm. started teaching me about, you know, James Brown. He was the first person to show me a drum machine. Now, during this same time, I had a kid in my neighborhood named named Joseph Kahn. Joseph Kahn's mother was named Jean Kahn. Jean Kahn had a hit record out during the, during the like 70s. It was a record called Closer Than Close, mm. where Jean Kahn went to Washington High School with Gladys Knight. His mother, when she dropped this record in the neighborhood, one day I went over to her house, and there was a group playing in her, in her, in her yard. They were playing basketball. And I, I remember going to Joseph, and I'm like, man, who them kids is? He said, Gip, that's new addition. They opening up for my mama. I said, wow. That was the first time I was introduced to the music business. Word. From then... It was a trip. That year, it was like a summer. I remember the record came out. It went gold for a new edition. At the same time, I'm learning about hip-hop from Ray. He's showing me. He's the first person to show me a drum machine. And the first drum machine, it came with four pads on it. And it was really for drummers. But that's how Ray started making beats. From there, Joseph was like, yo, that summer, Joseph was like, yo, man, like, my mama, she throwing my sister a birthday party. We going to the Fulton County Stadium. 
at that time, I really didn't know, like, Miriam was younger than me, so I really didn't know. I was just Joseph's friend in the neighborhood and was new to the neighborhood. Well, when we got to the Fulton County Stadium, the kid, she was having a birthday party with Jackson 5. The first time I met the Jacksons, I was a kid, so I didn't really understand who I was meeting. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just understood that I was here at this big show at Fulton County, and I was watching these kids perform. After that, I think I really got into the bug of because it was like Miss Khan started taking us to shows. And now, now I'm engulfed in her house, so now I'm starting to go into her house, and I'm seeing she changed her garage. I always wonder why she parked all her cars outside. And I was like, man, like, why your mom don't use her garage? He said, Gip, let me show you my mama's closet. And that's when I first walked into her closet, and it was the most glamorous clothes that I'd ever seen before. Like all her shoes and the stuff, her wigs and everything she had for stage. It, it it was amazing to me because at the same time, like, her nephew was Peebo Bryson. So he used to come over to the house, and we used to hear his records. So with all this going on in my neighborhood, you got to understand, hip-hop was so underground, and hip-hop wasn't what it is today. Yeah. You know, the only time we heard hip-hop was on the AM stations, WLK. And, and, if it, and, and it, it was like... That was like early 80s. Like, that's the only way you could hear rap in Atlanta. They didn't play rap on, it was only one station in Atlanta, it was B103. So I started getting engulfed into this during middle school, started performing. So I had my first group. First time me and Ray performed, we performed on Stewart Avenue. We opened up for Sammy Sam, the Hitman. Hitman. So moving through all this music, man, you was clearly ex you were clearly were exposed to to different kinds before you even rocked into hip hop. You know, what I'm saying even bumping into crazy R and B, a lot of a lot of a lot of singing. Yeah, it was it was it was more show business. Mm -hmm. Rap was rap was something that all our parents was like, man. Like I remember playing. I remember the first two records I ever had was uh. Ice T, his first record, six in the morning. And I had Boogie Down Bronze. You already know the Blastmaster. I remember playing these records, and I remember first time I got in the car with Dad, and I put it in. And he was like, "Man, what the hell is that?" <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, "Yo, man, it's the new stuff. It's called rap." And I remember my dad, he was like, man, that crazy music. You know what I mean? But, you know, being a kid, when somebody tells you not to do something, it, make, it draws you in even further. Shit automatic. So, doing all this time, man, like, uh, I'm learning. I'm in high school. I'm in Mays High School. And I remember all the kids, they used to think I was weird because... I was in the Nation of Islam, but I was learning about rap music too. So I come to school, I got the Nation of Islam outfit on, but then I had all four rings. All <laughs> I might have all my jewelry on, you know what I mean? Doing it like, and they'd be like, man, what you doing? It, and it was an oxymoron at the time, but I was going to the mosque. <laughs> I was going to the mosque over there on Ashby. And it was a record, it was, it was the first time I walked down the street one time. We were selling bean pies and stuff. And I hit the corner. I looked over. I said, damn, that's a recording studio. And that recording studio was Haywood. Haywood had been in the, in, in, on the west side. That was like, that was where Martin Luther King, all the greats went and mm -hmm. did their speeches and recorded their speeches. And I remember going back to East Point and telling Ray, like, yo, man, I found us a studio. We can go to the studio. Well, I remember telling Ray that, and Joe was sitting there, and Joe was like, we ain't got to go to the studio. 
My mama just bought me a whole studio. So just think about that. I went from really trying to get into it, and now one of my buddies got a whole studio in his house. We probably was the first ones at East Point with that. Because at that time, 1200s, that was like buying a car. Yeah, shit. <laughs> like, like a 1200 was like, shit. You see, uh, Wu-Tang, man, when Rizzo trying to buy that 1200, that, yeah, like buying a car. It was like buying a car. Like So we, we didn't have that. So I think that's when we started taking and using what we had and taking and using and learning about samples. At the same time, all this was going on. This is high school. I'm mm -hmm. moving into high school now. Well, I, first day of school, I'm in, I'm in high school. I'm in, I'm in Fulton County, then in East Point. I got on the school bus. Kid walked back there and said, what you doing sitting on the back of the bus? I said, shit, I ain't know you had to have, you know, nobody's name on it. Well, I got beat up that day. <laughs> <laughs> and that was my first day of high school. <laughs> so when I got to high school, high school was weird for me because I remember that summer. That summer was the first time Rakim came out, and it was that was the first time I ever heard somebody teaching in rap. Then I wanted to say, "Oh man." N.W.A. came out. At the same time, while I'm doing this and going to school, I got a job at Red Lobster on Camden Road. So I'm back in the back, and I'm washing dishes one day, and, you know, some rap music come on. I'm just in there rapping or whatever. And one of the dishes, one of the dudes back there with me, here from New York, his name was Mike. And I was like telling him, I was like, man, man, they got them. Boy, he said, you like rap? I said, yeah. He said, what's your favorite group? I said, boy, that's when everybody was LL Cool J and all that. But I was like, hey, man, it's this group called Public Enemy. He said, Public Enemy? I said, yeah. I'm talking about, man. I just finished listening to that stuff, boy. I learned about Farrakhan, and I'm learning about all this stuff, and it's, it's taking me away from the street rap. I'm going into this revolutionary shit now. I'm uh, kind of getting turned on about this shit. He was like, Gib, you really like that group? I said, yeah. He said, guess what? I said, what? He said, For, he said Professor Griff, that's my little brother. This real life, I'm telling y'all. <laughs> I said, what? He said, Professor Griff, that's my little brother. How about I was like, God damn. <laughs> I was like, he said, guess what? The Fresh Fest is coming through Atlanta this weekend. You want to go? I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so I go back. I tell Ray. We get down to the Omni. And I remember me and Mike was standing there. And back in them days, like with the Fresh Fest, man, like, you know, Flavor used to always be there before everybody. So he used to be all out in the crowd doing his thing. And I remember standing there outside and we waiting on, we waiting on Chuck and Professor Griff. I remember them pulling up and jumping out of a cab. And they were headlining. And I was like, damn. LL Cool J pulled up in a long limo. Rock <laughs> <laughs> Kim was in that long limo. You know what I mean? So I see how they came, but it was like, man, something did something to me, man, when that man came and jumped out of a cab. Yeah. That's really shit. <laughs> From that day, I was, I was intoxicated with hip hop. Um, when you be, when you begin to develop your own style of rap though, you know what I mean? Like like uh, clearly between the the and you can hear it even in your sound between the, the R and B influences and, and the public and the public enemy influences. Clearly there was a, a voice that was already being being bubbled yeah, up in you. My favorite, if you if you follow my style, my favorite artist is Ice T and Chuck D. Mm. That's how I created me. 
because I always was in the street. I always, I came in the game in the Cadillac. You know what I mean? The game didn't give me my Cadillac. So with that being said, it's like I did both. You know what I mean? I played in the streets and I did, I did, I did, I went to school. You know what I mean? You know what I mean? It was just a different world then. You know what I mean? And it was a different world because you got to understand, like, I remember the first day of high school, walking into the, walking into the bathroom and seeing the older classmen standing there. And he, and him got down him some blow, and I'm just like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you know, I'm a kid, in the 80s. I'm like, damn, what the hell was that? You know what I mean? But at the same time, I remember it being the thing. You gotta understand, hip hop and the streets was so connected in. So. All the fly shit was in the projects, you know what I mean? All the fly shit was up street with the young kids because I'm going to tell you about somebody. We in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade. Rico Wade been driving his own car since he was in sixth grade. That's how I met Rico. When he was in sixth grade, I was getting on the bus. Rico was getting in his own car driving to the project. So as kids... <laughs> Everybody in the Dungeon family, we've been connected since middle school, kindergarten. Dre and Dre and CeeLo was in alternative school together. They they knew each other before Big got here from Savannah. Me, Reek, and everybody else in the Dungeon Dungeon family, we've been going to school together. Dotson Drive, Bunch. I was at Pauly West. We've been knowing each other since kids because in Atlanta, how we all knew each other in high school was it was dancing. It was about dancing. That's what Atlanta was on. Atlanta was always on some different shit because as kids at Greenbrier, we could be standing there at Greenbrier and we'd see Larry Blackman drive down the street in Ferrari. Cameo. Hmm. He from Atlanta. People don't know that. And they don't know enough. Oh, we be standing there. We see Curtis Mayfield at the light. Stayed on Cameron Road. We've been always surrounded by real superheroes of, mu- of the music game. So that's what I tell kids all the time. Like, I didn't grow up seeing poor black people. Yeah. I didn't grow up seeing that. I grew up seeing rich black people all my life. That's all I've seen in Southwest Atlanta. That's all I've seen. So it was different for me being going and seeing and, and being other places and be like, yo, Gil, do y'all got TV down there? Huh? <laughs> 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 like, you know, my first tour is going to Chicago, going to Detroit, where people ain't been to Atlanta then. You got to remember, that was we first time we were seeing each other in other states and cities in our hood with BET. You know what I mean? So before BET, a lot of people only went by what people heard about the South or heard about New York or heard about the West Coast. So you got to still understand how infatuating it was as a kid during that time. You got the shit going on in the street. It's the first time all the ghetto kids coming. All the ghetto kids got all the fresh shit. They freshening all us. You know, all our mama was laying our clothes out like some lame. (laughs) You know what I mean? But, like, myself and my friends around me we still was so because you you can have houses. Yeah, I know how Atlanta is. Houses right here, and then the projects up the street. It's so many kids that I know that's in prison. They came from way good friend, families, but they chose the street. During that time, you got to look. If you weren't game banging, if you weren't selling drugs, you was the lame kid that did music. Y'all got to remember now when we were kids. Every time we got out of school, I was carrying the French home, a French horn home, got them all through middle school. <laughs> I ain't played. I tried. <laughs> but back in school, you used to have to play an instrument. Once I got into hip hop, that kind of shit started making me different than the other kids because I was like, damn, but I like the music. So with that, once I got to high school, is when it really got real for me. That's when I started really 
learning other things and understanding real life. So you can't write no rhymes for yourself until you live some shit. Yeah. I ain't that. Once I got to Maze High School, that was when I got shot at. That was when I fought Doug High School every <laughs> weekend at, at, at Piedmont Park. And we fought Harper. And you know what I mean? Like, high school was so fun for me because I got kicked out of Fulton County. Out of, out of Fulton County, I had to go to Atlanta Public School. So once I got there, the first person I met was Willie Knighton. And y'all called him Cujo. Cujo was a menace in school. When you look at menace to society, Cujo, old dog. <laughs> Cujo is the one that took me into the streets. He the one took me into and showed me like, yo, Gip, it's a whole nother lifestyle because Cujo didn't come from where I came. Cujo came from the other side. Yeah. So with that being said, Cujo started teaching me about the lingo, the lingo of, uh, of downtown, the tech wood. And all this, all this kind of shit that was going on in downtown Atlanta, because he was from the west side, so Cujo Playground was downtown Atlanta, and his style was different. So, with that being said, y'all can y'all can understand that this time in high school, I was really on some public enemy shit, trying my best to be Chuck D. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was trying, I was trying, going to the mosque, I was trying to listen to the minister. I was like, shit, we going to the Million Man Mars, we doing all that good shit, but. It was like not until not until one day Rico called us. He said, he said, yo, Gil, bring Ray up to uh up to the to the to the salon, man. Uh my sister said she met these two little dudes, man. Say, say, say they gonna come up here and rap for us. I was like, all right. So you know, by this time, y'all got to understand what's going on in Atlanta. You got Ichiban. Ichiban was the first record label around here. Ichiban first started putting out Jermaine first group. Yeah. You know, Dallas had took off already. Dallas had fucked around, met Joyce Irvy in Atlanta, and Dallas jumped in his car with her and left Atlanta at 17 and were recording records in L.A. So he was gone. He left. So the only other place was Ichiban. Everybody tried to put music out there, tried to do this, do that. Then L.A. Reed and Babyface showed up in town. Okay. We went and performed for them at that time. We went and performed for them trying to get on the face. When we got there, I remember Divine Stevens was there. Divine was already famous in the hood for dancing. Everybody knew Divine, and Divine hung out with Bobby Brown, so Divine was already like a ghetto superstar <laughs> around here. You know what I mean? So I remember we performed that night. Divine performed. They picked Divine. Divine was the first artist that on the face records. That night, though, it was this girl sitting at the table. They said, man, Kip, we want you to meet somebody. I said, hey, how you doing? She said, what's up? I said, what's your name? She said, my name Left Eye. I was like, damn, that's a hard name. <laughs> 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 you know what I mean? So you know back then, you know, that, that that fucked us up that day, cause I mean we went back to the crib. We were like, man, we got some whack ass names. <laughs> <laughs> name we got change our names. You know, we, we, that that was the first time we realized we were like, damn, my name ain't right, Shaw. I was like, damn, Shaw got damn fucked all our name up. So I remember that's when we was like, yo, we got to get out. That was the last step to us. Because we had just been making music ever since then, you know, coming up trying to figure out what we doing. I was in a group called East Point Chain Gang. Mm -hmm. That consisted of me, uh, Cool Breeze, Chief, OZ, and Cap One. Now, Cool Breeze, y'all know. Yes, sir. Cap One, that's Southside Daddy that y'all here doing all the beats. That's his father. So, Southside, was a little baby when we was working on the IL. Hey, who don't you know, man? Like, 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 
<laughs> shit, man. You know everybody. Because at that time we was the only ones. Yeah. You gotta look that they everybody looked at us. I we loved oh, yeah. we we loved we loved Luke Skywalker. Atlanta was we was on the shaky booty music. Yeah. That's what we called it. You know what I mean? We was on that. You know what I mean? Like to us, like everybody else, we looked and seen what everybody else was doing, but wasn't, wasn't nobody doing it like us. Like to me, because I was like, shit, we going to the club. I was in strip club 15, 16 years old. Like, man. <laughs> <laughs> so for me, it was about us trying to make that type of music because most of everybody that were coming out around here were making that type of music. Everybody know Kilo was that one that put that thing down for the streets. Yeah. But like for us, in Atlanta, the first place that we was able to go see real hip-hop acts was Sharon Showcase on 20 Gresham Road, the east side. The east side was the nucleus of Atlanta's hip-hop during the early 80s because that was where the biggest drug dealers were. That was that was Lil, Joe and Dave, and Lil Dave and JoJo, you know what I mean? And they had the biggest shit. Sharon was, Sharon to me, is the godmother of Atlanta. Like, without Sharon Showcase and without Sharon, it's no hip-hop scene because nobody fuck with us. You know, the east side was 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 considered, that's the dark side. As kids, like, that. that's where I learned crime on the east side. Everybody on the east side, I mean, that's what it was. You know what I mean? Them niggas were the best at stealing cars. Them niggas was the best, man. They, they always had to get there. They had the best parties. You know what I mean? They the ones started everything on the east side, Sharon Showcase. So Sharon Showcase was the first place that I got to see Luke Skywalker, Poison Clan, you know, because at the end of the day, what went on in the Omni, that was really New York. Yeah. That was like a New York, that was like, that was New York's finest. And for us that loved hip hop, you know, I had homeboys that ain't never been in the New York hip hop. It's almost like mainstream versus underground. Yeah, like, like so, y'all getting mainstream down in Omni. Yeah, yeah, so so for us, like that's that's why we all knew J- Jermaine because his dad was the one that was bringing them concerts here, Michael Malden. That's why Jermaine was always on the stage with Houdini on the stage in them big places because his father was a promoter during those times. So. With all that going on, you gotta understand, y'all. It was a big pot of going on because. Outside of Sharon, people don't give Big Oomp. Big Oomp is really, they were the underground. Jelly and everything that were going on on the west side, those were the tapes. On the east side, it was good. It was, it was, uh, it was Smurf. It was, it, it was, it was, ja- it was, it was, it was Jazzy Tease. It was all that, that they had their whole scene. We had our whole scene. But at the same time, I had Ray from Organized Noise, who was a hip-hop head. So that was they, our main thing. When we came out, we always saw how everybody disrespect Luke, would disrespect them, and, oh, they can't rap, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. You know what I mean? But me being a kid, I was like, nah, I don't want that. I want respect. So with me, I studied all the greats of New York. I studied all the greats of, of, of the West Coast because I had to, you know what I mean? But we formulated that style once we started really doing and and, and and it all really started. I think we all formulated our style after we really, after we got Twan and Dre. After we got, after we got two babies that ain't been in the whole music shit and took pictures and they did and it didn't happen and, and did. Went and got record deals, but didn't work. But then once we got there, we poured everything into them because it was like once they showed up that day in that uh, in, in East Point, and I, I remember they gave me a tape. It was Dos Effects. It was the Dos Effects uh, instrumentals. They put the Dos Effects instrumentals in, and them niggas rap to that tape went off. <sighs> and we all looked at each other like, "Damn, <laughs> okay." Next day, Reek was like, yo, I'm about to move to Lakewood. I'm about to get another house. We're about to start. I think they That's when Reek got the house in Lakewood. When Reek got the house in Lakewood, that's when we turned up. 
Bruh, you know, when I was watching this shit on Netflix, they was talking about some of the, um, they brought back the Fat Five Freddy um, clip when um, Yo! and TV Raps came down to Atlanta and they went to the dungeon. Yeah. And he was talking about all the smoke that was coming up out of there. And I was trying to think, y'all must have some legendary smoke sessions up in there, especially back when Dre was still smoking. You got Outkast in there, you got Rico, you got yourself, man. Like, what was it like up in there as far as, like, one, trying to create, you know what I'm saying, in that environment? And two, what was the sessions like? Like, what was it like when y'all was blowing down? Well, the biggest thing that people don't understand is that we never could record in the dungeon. Really? We never could record anything in the dungeon. The albums that we put together, that their album that we put together, we we put that together and we damn near wrote the album and had to go record it. So every record on that record, every beat on that record possibly played in the dungeon, just the instrumental for a month straight, all day, all night, never went off. That's how we did every song. We lived with the record. And it was a trip, you know, like everything was so fast because you got to understand what was going on. At the same time that all this shit is going on, right down the street is T-Bars. And they putting TLC together. So when they putting TLC together, Pebbles hollers, yo, I got a label. Next thing we know, PA signed. So PA signed first from our crew to Pebbles label. So that's Melo and Reese and KP, KP the Great. So you got to understand, we did the album for... uh, for Pebbles, PA was really the the, the, the blueprint for Outkast because Outkast was able to sit back and watch PA do this album in Doppler and understand what were the mistakes, what they didn't have. You know, PA album was just straight hip hop because we was really, really trying to, you know, we wanted New York to know we can rap down here. You know what I mean? So PA album was real hip hop. Well, Outkast kind of sit back and was like, you got to understand at that time, studios, man, we couldn't even go in studios. Those were the times where if you ain't had no session book, it wasn't no whole bunch of niggas up in no studios smoking and kicking it with their feet up. Uh, it wasn't none of that going on back then. You couldn't even get in them buildings. You know what I mean? Yeah, it was money. It was, it was money. Yeah, it was, yeah. uh, so at them times, they were going there and work on PA album and Doppler, and we are sitting sit in the in the parking lot for 12, 14, 15 hours, listening to one beat, <laughs> smoking. <laughs> you know what I mean? The whole day. Like, well, what Just lit in the parking lot. <laughs> we out here the whole day, and then we here, man. We don't even care we in there. We here. Yeah. <laughs> so with that whole thing, that's how we slid Outkast in. Outkast got on the remix. Boom. They heard. Then next thing you know, TLC got signed. Boom. KP running with T-Bars every day. She straight eat points. So it's it all good. Me and, me and Chili, we went to school together at Maid. We was in the same English class. We good. Man, we, oh, man. No, they talking about opening a little face. They get signed a little face. Boom. We're like, okay. We started working. We did our first motherfucking trial. We went to go see L.A. He turned us down. He looked at the outcast. He was like, man, them niggas ain't no star. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Rick came back and was like, man, the L.A. said they ain't no star. I said, all right, we got to work some more. He was like, man, damn all they got there hip-hop shit, man. Let's get on some player shit, my nigga. Let's do what we do, my nigga. It can't let, man. We don't be, hey, man, let's get on this Georgia shit. Boom, L.A. called and said, hey, man, we're going to put y'all niggas on Christmas album. Organized going to the studio with TLC. They in there doing sleigh bells. Nigga said, let's flip this bitch. Tell the cats, come here, let's flip this bitch. Let's talk about how we had Christmas. They ain't no goddamn snow. Wham! Shawty done went in there and nailed that shit. 
So you gotta understand now. <laughs> we kind of right here. We kind of we kind of in the room, but we don't know. We don't know. We like we don't know yet. So, LA put the goddamn Christmas album out, and y'all gotta remember back then, like first time we heard the records. First time we heard the record was on eighty nine point three. So we were like, oh shit, we own goddamn eighty nine point three. Then the next. In about a month, hey Atlanta V103, they starting the rap show, and we got damn got Grand Street from Dallas, Texas. Man, our guy. Man, he played, he played players ball the first time in Atlanta, money. It was like, all of us was like, why? I mean, I remember I tell y'all, man, I was on my job because I'm gonna tell y'all how slick I was. See, I had old military dad. That nigga was crazy, man. So I had to goddamn play. I, you know, I, the rap shit, you know, he equated all that with the streets, everything. Back then, it's smoking, Philly blunts. You know, he fucking up his carpet. He just like, man. <laughs> you know what I mean? So I had to have a job because the nigga was like, look here, man. Like, either you going to go live in the streets or you got to have a job. You got to have a job around here. I said, okay, well, shit. I'm going to go get a job at the warehouse. And then I'm going to go to half school because y'all got to understand the Barnum Brothers family were big in Atlanta. Here and during that time, you either chose the streets or you went and did half. <laughs> so, so with me, I was like, shit, I'm going to go to the half school up there on, on, on MLK, y'all, that right down the street from D.C. Hill. Yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so I mean, I was got there. We in the warehouse, so I remember, I remember it about six o'clock. I mean, no, about five o'clock in the day, and I'm on, I'm in the warehouse, I'm in College Park, and that man played players ball. Man, I said, that's it, <laughs> <laughs> that's it. I quit. <laughs> hey man, I walked right on outside, jumped in that old mobile and scratched off. So when I got to the dungeon, at the same time, CeeLo them pulling up, everybody pulling up. Everybody low. quit. Hey, <laughs> everybody quit that same day. CeeLo, everybody. CeeLo worked at a potato chip company oh, on full and industrial folk. You know what? It's just potato chip cone. You got to put it in the butt, in the thing. It came on the radio. Them folks just walked out the thing, left potato chip everywhere, running everywhere. It just walked out. I said, man, this it, bro. This it. And I'm talking about, y'all got to understand, we put this record out in December. This like the summertime. We still working for a whole another six months. This just a record on that on that man, Krimmer Al. Man, Dre them called and said, man, we got a show in Dallas. We got to go. First time being on the road, my name. Who we on the show with? The nigga said, Tony, Tony, Tony. I said, God damn. <laughs> <laughs> Hold up, folks. Hold up. We out here with Tony, Tony, Tony. You know, I'm like, boy, it can't be no little show, shawty. We Hold up, shawty. We ain't in no high school or nothing. Oh, no, we really quick. Yeah, so you got to understand that it's our first time being out of, out, of, out, of, out of Georgia, anything. We get to Dallas. We like, man, we get there. So you got to understand, we don't know we don't know what being on TV is. We don't know the impact of the record. We don't know nothing. We really don't know nothing. And we get there, and we at the Dallas Stadium home. That motherfucker sold out. That's when I called back home. I said, shit, bro. We ain't finally did we ain't did it, y'all. Kareek them wasn't on the road. Organized noise, but they wasn't on the road like how Puffy was. So we didn't really see Reek didn't come on the road. So we had to call back home and say, yo, dog. Shawty them we got down. Did it, Shawty. They did this shit bigger than what we know. You know? And from that, that's when the relationship came, man. That's that's when we pulled back up to the dungeon one day, and a, a car pulled up, L.A. pulled up, and he got out. Hey, man, we're going to shoot this video today. I want y'all to meet somebody. They're like, who is that? Say, hey, man, what's happening with your playboy? My name Puffy. 
<laughs> I heard, yo, and, and Puff didn't finish the whole video, did he? Yeah. Puff was the need to shot play of all video. That was the first time we met Puff. That day is the same day that we shot we shot the video, so that day is also the day that, that Fab Five Freddy came to the dungeon. So this is all one day. That was all one day. Damn. That was all one day, because you got to remember, at the same time, we doing the video, MTV Raps, we was the, we were the first to be on MTV Raps. So, you know, they they know Puff was coming, MTV Raps coming, LA was coming, all that happened. That's what's up, That man. was That's when we really... Fi- we figured out that we had we had uh, we had made it, man. Like, and it was tough, bro. Like, it was tough, man. If I would tell you, I tell y'all some horror stories, man. It was tough. It you, was just tough being in an environment that all you wanted to do was prove yourself, and all you wanted to do would be loved. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, you know, with that being said, it was great. It's one thing that I understand about being the first. You, you. It ain't no man. It ain't no manual to it. No, you know it ain't. You know I'm gonna tell y'all, man. It's it's something else to have to live in fame, and you don't understand fame, and nobody to tell you what fame is. You know, you, it's some days you wake up and you just be like, man, damn, man. I wish it, it was like them first albums, bro. I was just. It was some days I wake up and be like, man, shit, man. I wish I can go back normal. I don't even want nobody to know me today, like <laughs> you know what I mean. But it's all the trials and tribulations. I'm glad I, I'm glad that I've been able to live this long. But you know, it's so many of my friends that I started this shit up with that didn't make it. Yeah, you know what I mean. So hip hop, man, this shit is just as dangerous as the street game, man. Like this is the street game, cause cause at the same time, y'all know death will come with this shit, and you know, like. To me, everybody doing them times was so raw, man. Like, it was just so raw. You know, like, I tell people all the time, man, like, that source award that y'all see, man, like, people don't understand that, man, that was the first time that we all saw each other in the flesh that night. Like, it was so much testosterone in that room, y'all. It was like being in a motherfucker, like being on a prison yard. Because all of us back then was so raw, like we were just so like, nigga, we're here. <laughs> <laughs> like, like I mean, and you just gotta imagine this. Goody Mob, us four, we got little Sh- Shanty Dawes with us. She with us, and the two outcasts. And we walk in this room, we sit down, it's dark. So all the lights out, so everybody, can't, you can't see nobody. So just imagine the stage going boom, and it's that death row shit. <laughs> and that shit just like, and we like, damn, this is the first time we seen Snoop. First time we seen the Lady of Rage, we like, Lord, we just like some kids. Like, Lord, look at this, the, the, look at this. And then the lights turn on, and we look around, and it's 100, 100 Wu-Tang. First time we seeing Method Man, you know what I mean? We we seeing Method Man, we seeing Ghosts, we seeing Rayquaza, we seeing everybody. We like, wow, you know? We looking over here, damn, they go to West Coast, they gonna be shoot, they go, ooh we, you know, they go Bone Thugs and Harmony, there they go, you know what I mean? And boom, the shit break out. We like, damn. At this, you got to remember at this time, this is when everybody's albums are coming out during that time. This is everybody's first albums coming out. And I mean, we had a show. We had a show because it was like Outkast first time performing in, in New York. So we had a show that night after, after that. And it was like, okay, first time we perform in New York. I see how New York fucking with us. We go, we do the show. It was great. It was this dude standing in the front, big dude, standing in the front, whole time, rapping, whole time. Had a bandana on with a hockey jersey. Music come off, big dude walked straight to CeeLo. Fuck with you, cat. Who is that, Lo? Oh, that big. Mm, first time we meet Big and Small. In the club. We leave there. We go to the hotel. 
we crawl. We all outside like, man, boy, we got our first show here in New York. Boy, we in Winning Store and bought boom farms and shit. <laughs> we, so y'all met some Atlanta niggas out on the curb in New York, drink a boom farm, eat some raid pizza, like some tours. <laughs> and, and this thing, you know, a dude walk up. It was Method Man. If y'all see this picture, I put it out. A few years ago, it's a picture of all us standing on the street. It's me, Big, Method Man. None of us had no goals, no tattoos. And I remember that night. They said, he said, yo, God, y'all perform here? He said, yeah, this is our first time performing. He said, this is our first night, the Wu-Tang performing in the city. We performed around the, around the corner. That was the, the first night Outcast performed in New York. The Wu-Tang performed around the corner, protect your neck, the first time in New York City. We drunk boom farms <laughs> together and, and went back. He went there, we went down. You know what I mean? So me personally, I can tell y'all, I've been like paying attention to everything going on in my life when it comes to this rap shit because at that time, I've watched the crowds change. I've watched people's attitude toward what we do and how we do it. You know, never in my life would I think I'd be sitting here and we'd be talking to millions of people and we talking to microphones and it's that thing that's in there. You gotta remember folks, I was one of the first I was I was one of the first wave of kids, man. Like I remember man, Atari, my nigga, we sit in front of the TV all day and hit a ball back and forth, bink, <laughs> bink, and thought that shit was the greatest <laughs> shit of all time. So oh. I, I, we just sit there for hours, like, do that shit. So I, <laughs> you know what I mean? So I watched that going to the Commodore, to the Dell, to when when the when the dungeon got Tecmo Bowl, and we used to fight over Tecmo Bowl to get on there and play that machine, and you looking at everything that. We couldn't have then. It's at your fingers, man. Like y'all don't understand what it was to 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 wanna be in this, but couldn't get the materials to do it. Yeah, you know what I mean. You had to be the best. And I look at these kids now, and I'm like, man, y'all get to do this shit so easy, man. I mean, it used to be gatekeepers back then, bro. Right. Like, you wasn't getting in here unless you was the best. So I think you you hit the nail on the head when you was talking about the studio shit. Like, I remember studios was so much money that, you know, like you say, it wouldn't be 10, 12 deep in the studio. It's the person who paid for it. You know what I'm saying? Now yeah. you go to a studio now, it's like, it's like this. It's you like, know what I'm saying? And, and, like, and one person in, in the booth, man. So uh, let's talk. let's talk about weed, man. Let's talk about it. Man. Let's talk about smoking, it, man. I've been smoking for a long time, man. I've been what was the, for a long time. When was the uh, first time you smoked? Oh shit! What Cujo Goody? See, I told you. Then Cujo was a Cujo Goody, man. Cujo Goody. I tell y'all the story. Man told me one morning got to, got got the maze high school man. He said, hey, "Man, what you doing?" I said, "Nah." He said, "Man, we cut school today." <laughs> 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 okay, next thing I know, I wind up in the project. But before we get there, he said, "Hey, give you a smoke weed." I said, "No, don't know what you talking about." So, well, today it's him and Derek in the front seat. He rolls up a joint. He gives me the weed. I smoke the weed. Oh, Lord. <laughs> next thing I know, I'm in the house party. Um, next thing I know, the police outside. <laughs> yeah. Next thing I know, everybody running up the stairs trying to jump out the second floor goddamn bathroom window. And everybody trying to go at the same time. I jump out. I hurt my leg. Goddamn. I couldn't run. Cujo was going. He had got about... 15 steps away, he turned around, get what's wrong. I can't run, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Joe came back, he put his arm around me, he said, don't worry about it, but I gave you the reef, I'm going to stay with you. <laughs> <laughs> That's a frame, my dude. Hey, next time you know me and Joe, we locked up, we on, we on bank here, we locked up, zone see. Yeah, zone folk, we locked up. That was the first day I did weed, man. <laughs> and after that shit, 
We've been smoking reefer. That's what's up, man. <laughs> He's been locked in ever since. Yeah, man. I'm that, like, hey, man, after I got that, because y'all got to understand, man, back then, bro, like, man, I remember the first time I bought a twin. I, I went and bought, Joe said, we going to Dixie Hill, Shorter. We about to go get that goddamn dub. I was like, all right. We got the Dixie Hill. He went up in there and got that dub. Shorter came out with a goddamn vanilla fold. I was like, what that is? <laughs> <laughs> He was like, he was like, shit, this the weed. Now back then, man, everybody was smoking Bobby Brown, man. It was yeah. like, it wasn't nothing. It was swag. It was dirt. I mean, we used to get it. We, we had to get a, we had to roll the, we had to roll the seeds out first, then get the sticks out first, <laughs> then get on down to the goddamn misc. Understand the process, the yeah. process of getting yeah. of, of breaking down Reggie back then. Yeah, that was all the way for it was no way around it. That how we're coming, right? So you get that all the way down, right? So then once I got into the game, that's when I started learning about me. So then you know, some of the, some of my folk customers were doctors, so they were smoking this shit that was different than the street. That's when I started learning about strands. The first strand I ever heard that the doctor smoked and the lawyer smoked was Acapulco Gold. That was the shit that sold for $200 an ounce at the car wash. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, that was like, that was like our dream to get because we wanted to smoke the Acapulco Gold. And really, that was what they called cis, red cis. So the first time I remember seeing it, I remember my homeboy daddy showed it to me, and it was like, it was like a gold with red hairs. And this was like their chronic. That was their chronic then. You know what I mean? So that was kind of like my thing, you know, like – most of the kids around me, man, they were they were getting to it. I seen the ounce of weed at fourteen years old. You know what I mean? Like them kids around me, they wanted to get to it. You know the funny part is you say an ounce of weed, I'm still thinking like how how back in the day you, if you had Reggie, you breaking down seeds and sticks. Like how much of an ounce was that was seeds and sticks? You know what I'm saying? Because we Oh shit. Bruh. Half <laughs> had that bag half was, was it seeds. Was, it was an ounce, but mo but the ounce was really a half an ounce, what yeah. you were smoking. The rest of them yeah. season and sticks. So I've been, I'm almost embarrassed now at this point because I remember when people run up to me and I know it's Reggie now. And the first thing they want to do is be like, yo, smell this. Yeah. So I'm smelling it and I'm like, yeah, I got to hit this shit. Now it's like, yo, I smell that shit and I be like, like I tell you now, five points weed. I always consider the five points weed Reggie. I don't give a fuck with nobody out there, God. This is Reggie. Yeah. And then <laughs> that's how I feel about it. They just run up and just, yo, smell this shit. This thing's been like well, dirt, dog. Uh, well, the first time, I remember the first time. I mean, first time organized North went to the West Coast. Reek brought back an ounce of chronic. Chronic album. Chronic drove me crazy. Yes. Man. Yeah, chronic. And yeah. like the original chronic, y'all, used to be little Christmas trees in the bag. Like little, little, little nuggets. Like little, little eggs. Like they were little Christmas trees. Real fat weed, right? Yeah. Strong. I mean, we looked at that bag for a week. <laughs> we just looked at the reefer. We ain't even want to. We smoked. We smoked everything but that reefer. We let that reefer sit in the dungeon. Uh, yes, for a week, just just smoking everything. Just look at that damn weed. Why we ain't got nothing like that? I don't know. Our reefer don't look like that though. So you gotta understand that when we was able to get that, that was the best. Now. The best weed smoking I ever did was when Goody Mob went on tour with Fishbone and De La Soul. That was about the most highest what? tour I ever been on. Cause that so was like Woodstock. Yeah, it, it really was. <laughs> it really was with Fishbone, but that's another crowd, man. That's another tight crowd yeah. there. So and with De La in different places because those were the first tours that we went up into places like Humboldt County. And I actually got to be in a Humboldt County setting and all these kids from all these different farms just bringing me weed all day. Like, yo, this train wreck. Yo, this, 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 this. This was the first time I started hearing names of weed because before that, I only just heard it's weed. Bro, that's you know the shit to make you come back to the land and just be you mad. Just I mean? <laughs> be upset at everybody. You know what I mean? But, but like, Smoke, smoking with smoking weed on tour with Fishbone, and I met the king of TAC on that tour. Yeah, 
So this white dude walked in. That was the first time that I saw him walk in, take the best weed that he had, put it in a bong, and then take some oil shit out and pour it on top of it. That was the first time I had ever saw that. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I remember that, that when I hit it, it's, it's, it's the same effect that I get from hitting a dab now. Yeah. It was that strong to me because yeah. the like, dab is like that's – Doc, man, Doc be trying to get me. Have you thought about why you smoke? Like, you know, you, you, you've been smoking for a while. Like, have you thought about why you smoke? Like, you know, thinking about just some of the things you go through, whether it's medical, whether it's mental, any issues like well, that? Let's, like, let's, let's, go to, let's go to that part, too. Yeah. All right. Uh, my background. Mm, mother's father. Father's from Alabama. My mother's from Georgia. Rockmont, Georgia, up in the mountains. My grand, my grandmother and all that, they used to have cannabis oil. They used to make that stuff back in the day. Half my family were Cherokee Indians, real Cherokee Indians. My grandmother was full-blooded Cherokee Indians. You know what I mean? So in Alabama, and that, they used, she used to keep stuff. That was her special drawer. Like, that's that was what was in there with that cash drawer. Yes. You know what I mean? That kind of stuff. That your granny used to keep that special shit. Like, I can hear you with this shit in here. Know that they always had cannabis oil. We didn't know what it was, but the old folk did. That was that was handed down through our tradition of us not having money to go to the doctor. We had to heal ourselves. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, with that being said, it's always been around me. But I had an incident in a in the warehouse. I I I I was on a on a forklift, and I. I, I I masked my my ankle between the wall and the forklift. I went. And that was the first time the doctors put me. This opioids. This is like ninety 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 one. This is opioids. So I go. I get the opioids. I'm taking. I'm like, God damn man. You know what the fuck? <laughs> like I don't like this man. Like I don't like the scratching. And I don't like this. You know what I mean? I ain't like that. And first thing I did was I'm gonna weed it. Gonna weed it. Damn this. And I remember I stopped taking the pills without nobody telling me to and just smoke weed. And from that, I learned that weed was a healer. Yeah. Because it helped me with my pain and it kept me calm when I wanted to, you know, go the other way. Yes. <laughs> so with me, I felt like, man, it's more of a medicine. And I taught myself that. Now, Nobody in this world would uh, would agree with me on that, that didn't smoke. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I'm cool with that. You know what I mean? But, you know, even when it comes to that, you know, my love and why I got back into this the way I am now is because of my father that I lost a year ago. You know? He didn't tell me he had. He didn't tell me he had cancer. He didn't want to tell me. That's the kind of dude he was. So I just made sure that I was with him as long as I could be. Once he got, once I got back home from Los Angeles. So with that being said, you know, Doc, I met Doc. Start teaching me about what cannabis can be used for. You know, how it can be used to heal. It was real hard to kind of get him into stuff like that because he had already been doing the chemo. He had been doing mm-hmm. everything he was supposed to do. But you know, during this time, you know, he was on his he was he was on his way. You know, I, I went back home, and uh, they said, "Man, Gip, he ain't got long." I said, "Okay." Well, I met this guy in L.A. Uh, his name is Calvin. Calvin is a scientist. And Calvin was like, yo, Gib, I, I know about the RSO oil. I know it. I don't do cannabis, but I mess with it. I know it works. You know? He said, hey, yo, I'm going to give you this stuff. Take this back home. See if it helps your father. At the same time, you know, when I got back, I had only been gone for 48 hours. When I got back to the hospital, everybody on my father's floor had died. He was the only one left. Mm. I went in there and I told him, he said he was in so much pain. He was like, shit, man, this shit don't work. It ain't, I ain't tripping. Just take care of your mama. 
So I said, him. I get I said, then I brought this stuff, I put it in his mouth. Mind you, he ain't he ain't ate for about three or four days and his body was really just it was in uh in its last stages. Um I put the I put the, the oil in his mouth. He went to sleep. He woke up in the morning, he said, Hey man, I'm hungry. <laughs> So we kind of all look. We kind of like, huh? He's like, yeah, my nigga, I'm hungry. He ate a whole plate. And when he ate the plate, he said, shit, I want to go home. <laughs> I was like, damn. I told Doc, everybody, we got ready. We were going to go in and get him home. My father lived for another two weeks. And I was thinking, like, I know it's because of the cannabis. Yeah, if he could have had it earlier. Yeah. Yeah, man. Uh, well, it's a, it's a blessing that you 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 got to understand the 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 healing power as late as you did, and you know it's it's still enough time for you to be able to spread that word to other people. That's what it is. That's yeah. what it, that's why it's real to me. I seen it work. If I didn't see it work, especially after being in the room and doctor saying ain't nothing that we can do, you know what I mean? Yeah. And for a man to get up, you got to understand, he got right home. I was like, shit, daddy, what you want to eat? He was like, shit, boy, go to that goddamn uh, Longhorn and give me that steak and lobster. <laughs> <laughs> and that man ate steak and lobster, my nigga. And I was so proud to just know I gave him that. That's what he wanted. That was that was the one last thing he wanted, man, before he got out of here, man. And I just know that it was because of that cannabis. That cannabis, it started healing his body, but it was already too late. But at the same time, with it not being too late, it gave him an appetite to want to eat and want to drink and at least, you know, live as much as he could while he had it. So with that being said, that's why I have to be an advocate for the healing power of cam- cannabis. I have to be here, and I have to fight this fight with Dr. Hodges because he is the first to put his leg and put his career and put everything that he got to put it, put his foot out here for Georgia. Yeah. And uh, with my father and with him standing with my father, man, it's like it gave me a whole nother fight. I never thought I would love anything more than going on stage and doing what I do, yeah. you know? But seeing something that can help millions of people at least live better or at least have a second option, I fight for that. That's what's up, man. Hey, we a little bit more out of time. I wish we could do more <laughs> with you, bro. <laughs> but before we get out of here, man. Um, wait a minute, wait a minute. Before we get out, hold on, man. Yeah. Crazy as hell. We ain't going nowhere. <laughs> hold on, man. All right, let's talk about it now. Okay, you, you, you got the session. The session now. Now I know the session. The capital open back up next week. Yes, sir. We need all our folks that's into this cannabis business and want to learn about it. You need to stay in touch and in tune with what's going on exactly. in Georgia. Uh, get your money ready. Get your money ready. Ain't nothing free. You know, ain't nothing free. If we want to be involved with something, we gonna have to understand. We can't come in there with that same old attitude. We got even if we got to start small. Uh, for the girls, it's a whole nother thing out there. I got a little niece. She just graduated from the cannabis university. They just called her to Oklahoma and gave her a forty, fifty thousand dollar job starting out, teaching her how to do abstracts and stuff like that. It's time, ladies and gentlemen. We got even if we got to go back to school, we can go back to school and learn how to do this stuff. I'm in California, so I'm seeing I, I, some of the people that's in this business, most of them police. Most of them and took the stuff there and took off kids in the street and took it to their to they garage and started whole companies out there in L.A. It's because we don't have the knowledge most, time, most of the time while we get, we're not involved. It's too much stuff going on in Atlanta for us not to be involved. They're about to put $700 million in, in just rental. And, and development in Atlanta on the south side. Dispensaries, they looking at it, it'll be $66 billion made just this year in the cannabis field. 
You know, $66 billion. If you don't know, you need to learn. You got cooking. You got bud tending. You got dispensaries. You got deliveries. You got everything you want. I got um, I got oil. I, you, you smoke? Up to her. All right. <laughs> All right. I got something for you. I got something for you. This is Delta 88. It's okay. an oil that's not even on the market yet. Some of the strongest oil out here. As y'all see, I leaned in. Yeah. <laughs> I want you to hit that. Okay. They ain't got that in the hood. Now, how do I hit it? Just, just, just hit it. Just hit it. So you ain't got, ain't got to press nothing. Yeah. Just keep going. Yeah. Don't worry about it. Yeah. <laughs> worry about it. That's good. <laughs> I hate all y'all <laughs> for being here at this moment, but that's good. And it tastes good, too. That's called Kabuki. Oh. Check that out. That's going to be the edibles coming out, so that's Kabuki. You eat this? Yeah, eat that. <laughs> so, so, wait, I just learned that. I learned so much from this interview. <laughs> and this right here, this 480, it, it's like 480. I could give this to a horse and then knock his on his head. Mm. Yeah. If I gave him this whole thing, he'd fall down. <laughs> I'm glad you warned me early. <laughs> now, 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 I'm going to tell y'all what's going on. I got the Zaga Blunts coming out this month. Yeah. They're going to be out in California. We're going we gonna, to gonna jump state to state every 45 days. Once you get it started, because it's taking me about a year, two, two years to get everything together. I got the Zaga Blunts. Of course, I know if y'all in the street, y'all done had some of that moon rock. Yeah, 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 yeah. The real moon rock. Yeah, yeah. Don't look at his face. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then we got the three C stuff coming. Yes, that's gonna be that's gonna be like a, a medicinal line. You know what I mean? Just like we trying to do that. But like, and then the Gibb Goodies, Gibb Goodies is gonna be a recreational line. It's gonna be out there in L.A. You know what I mean? We gonna move it around it, and it's. I feel like whatever I do in Atlanta. It's Dr. Hodges at Gibb always. <laughs> we do it. We got red clay magic, but most likely y'all probably gonna see Dr. Hodges line. I won't be on nothing in George. <laughs> so, so, so. I mean, with that being said, I mean, with me personally, I'm here for everybody. I want to create a way to make sure that I can employ as many people as we can. Cause I mean, uh, we need an army. Yeah. Dr. Hodges needs an army because we got as many of us as they see that stands behind him and the movement in Georgia. It's just going to make it better for us and where we want to do and how we want to do it in Georgia. Bro, you one of the most interesting people on earth. <laughs> Hands down. Uh, why Why you think I ain't as big as I I'm bigger than the music. Yes, sir. You know why? Why? Because I ain't never let them folk talk shit to me. And the music business didn't never give me nothing that I wasn't exposed to. So it was never nothing they could make me do mm. that I didn't want to do. Mm. I ain't supposed to be as rich as some because I always came with knowledge. Knowledge will never have as much money as the person that came to dance. That's the way it is. My boy, Gib, appreciate you for coming out and blessing us today. <laughs> and that's Cash Color Cannabis, a high level of conversation. <laughs>